John chapter 1. We left off in verses 41 and 42. We're going to make it out of John 1 today. So many of you are doing the math. (laughs) Times 21 chapters. John chapter 1. We left off in verses 41 and 42 where the disciples of John the Baptist, Andrew, and most likely uh, John uh, the Apostle who's writing here. He doesn't mention himself, but if you remember, like in one of those verses he says that Andrew went and, and also got his brother, which is implying that the person who actually is writing this has a brother as well. We know that John had a brother, James. He doesn't mention himself very much in writing here, but uh, he's... He's very humble in that. He always calls himself by other terms, like the disciple whom Jesus loved. But basically, John the Baptist and Andrew, and most likely John, they began to follow Jesus after, uh, sorry, uh, John the Apostle, that is, after John the Baptist told uh, Andrew and John, behold the Lamb of God. And John is, is decreasing, and Jesus is increasing, and John's just, the Baptist is feeding off the scene, and Jesus is arising as should be. And that's what it says in verse 35. He said, behold the Lamb of God. He's sitting there with his two disciples, and, and then they start to follow him. Verse 39 says that they stayed with Jesus that day. And it was through that encounter with Jesus, as they spent time with Jesus that day, that they became convinced that he was indeed the Christ. Because it says in verse 41 that Andrew found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And, and John the Apostle's main point in telling us all this in chapter one is he's listing the witnesses. He's listing, he's gonna be listing the miracles, but he's listing, he's listing the, uh, the, the witnesses to Jesus Christ that he actually is the Messiah. This morning, do you believe that Jesus is actually a real person who came to this earth, who literally lived and died and performed these miracles? Do you believe it? Many people do not. Many people in the church do not. They believe in that distant, who knows what Jesus is to them. But John is writing so that we would be convinced because of eyewitnesses of these situations that were recorded one after the other and the miracles after miracles after miracles and people testifying that all these things would come together and people would just go, you know what? This is the Christ. This is God in the flesh. This is Jesus. And if, 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 if he is who he says he is, then we've got an issue And the issue of sin and the wrath of God upon mankind can only be resolved in the Lamb of God, this one. He is the Savior of the world. And it's to drive us to Christ. This is the whole reason why John is writing. So why is he telling us all these things? He's talking about Andrew. He's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about Peter. He's talking about uh, Philip. He's talking about Nathaniel. He goes in chapter 2. He goes into the the whole deal with... uh, you know, with a miracle at Cana, turning water into wine. John chapter 3, he goes on and, and talks about, uh, uh, you, know, hey, you know, for God so loved the world. He's talking to Nicodemus. That whole chapter is about that. John chapter 4, I, I'm starting to not remember what it is, but John chapter 4, the woman at the well. John chapter 5, someone tell me. You know, we just, he just keeps going. 
And so we're going to keep going until we're absolutely thoroughly convinced, not only in our, in our own church, in our own life, not only that Jesus is the Christ, but the nature of who he is and how he works and how he impacts our lives and how he changes us. And as Jesus comes into our focus and he is our life and we are looking at him and, and he's changing us day by day and everything we're doing and thinking about and living for and all these things are all focused about him and in him we move and have our being and all these things, as, they, as it happens in that life, overflows into evangelism, into witness, into the world around us. And it's not this forced... Um, Hey, you better get out there and share Jesus or you're just not checking the box. You can't help it because Jesus is overflowing in your life. He's everything to you. And he's becoming larger and larger and larger and larger. And it just, until that day we go see him. And our love stands before our very eyes. And we sing, you're beautiful to his face, you know? Or whatever it will be. <laughs> and so John... The Baptist had Andrew and most likely John the Apostle. And he says, man, behold the Lamb of God. And these guys leave John. They start following Jesus. And Jesus changes their life. And then it just talks about Andrew. And Andrew then is changed. And he goes to his brother Peter. He goes and finds him out. And he starts sharing Christ with his brother. And although this is John's main point in writing all this, you know, to kind of lay out the witnesses, I can't help but see the effects of Jesus upon these ordinary men when they believe in Jesus Christ. Each of them begin to share Christ with those around them. And this is what John the Baptist did when he directed people to Jesus. He said, Man, behold the Lamb, look at him, go after him. That's the one that I've been living and talking about. Go after him. And Andrew and John, they encounter Jesus, and, and then Andrew you know, told Peter, and then brings Peter to Jesus, to physical you know, Jesus who was on the earth. And brothers and sisters, this is evangelism. This is, this is how people come to Christ. This is God's way he does this. Someone shares Jesus and his gospel with you, and then at some point, God illuminates your heart and it no longer becomes their Jesus, he becomes your Jesus. It's not someone else's story and all these types of things. His life, by the power of the Holy Spirit through them, starts to impact you and God is working on you, convicting you of your sin and also realizing, making you realize there's a deep missing hole in your heart and it's not so that he can give you a bunch of stuff, it's so that he can fill it with himself. And you come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sins. Not just the sins of the world, but he becomes personal. That he died for you, was slain for you. That he rose again for you. There is no other. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is your way. He is your truth. He is your life. And you go to the Father through Him. He is yours and you are His. And when you're born again through faith in Christ, then, then you now share Jesus with others. I just remember that being incredibly, um, you know, I was 19, just came out of the world, and I, I believe that's, I was sharing Jesus as a little kid, and I got persecuted to death, actually. I, 
I think I came to the Lord when I was four. It's hard to tell. It's like the wind. You know, he just changes you and grows up. Some of you had distinct moments when you were born again. Others of you, it's just, it's like John chapter three. When the wind comes over you and you don't know, you just, the Lord just brings you to him over time and you just awaken in you. Man, I, I believed all this. This is you. And I remember sharing the Lord with kids and around me and if any of you have a Catholic background, but it was it was a it was the Inquisition. I got I got persecuted pretty hardcore, <laughs> you know, and isolated and all these types of things. And there was a lot of loneliness, and and I didn't understand the rejection uh, being a little kid growing up on a block with all that type of stuff, you know. And I was pretty alone. And you don't realize that you know people don't like the light, especially when you're a little kid. But when I remember when I came back to the Lord, because I went away for a long time. Like, G- like Peter, I followed at a distance. Jesus had to come get me again. And what happened is, I started sharing the Lord with all those people. They saw the change. They saw, they saw just the darkness fall out of my life, and they saw the difference. My, my mom and my sister saw a different person living in their home as a young single man, and all of that which the world, you know, the worldly young man would, would be. They just saw a, a 180. They saw Christ take hold of my life. They saw my priorities change to say just different things. And so my words actually had power because of the witness that was happening in my, in my heart. And the people that I hung out with, I started sharing the Lord with, just left and right. I couldn't help it. He was everything to me. He totally saved me from just darkness. And there was just a love for him and, and an adoration, and there still is love. That's why, that's why I'm here. He's so good. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that Jesus would be the center of your life and why you do what you do. You know? Jesus is your lamb. Jesus is your God. Jesus is God in the flesh for you. And when you're born again, you can't help but share that life. And this makes me question quite often whether or not we're born again. I know one of the questions, again, you know, I, I always want to, you know, like it says in the scriptures there, you know, hey, just test what's going on in your life. See if you're really in the faith. Not that I want you to doubt your salvation. I want you to have surety that you are saved, right? Because the worst thing is to, is to walk through life, being in church, doing all the things that churchy people do, and standing before the judgment gate of the Lord and him saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Did not we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That means that they were doing churchy things. Amen? Christian associated things. And, and so I want us to, to see Jesus as he really is. I want him to see his life. In other words, there's, there's things, there's examples of what happens in disciples' lives when they encounter Christ. There's 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 teachings that we believe, and not only believe, but they're, they're exemplified in, in how we live. There's a, there's a fruit that comes from our life. There's a tree that bears fruit. And so we've got to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. One of the things is, is a Christian has a desire to share Christ. Now, they might have tons of fear. We, how many of you are fearful in that? I mean, for Yes, I am fearful. I'm fearful now even sharing with you. I look at it, you and everybody's looking at me and I'm going, great, I, am I making any sense whatsoever? You know, and that's just kind of how it goes. But you, you share Christ because you love him more than you love yourself. 
and you love them more than you love yourself. You love God and you love others, amen? You deny yourself, you pick up your cross and follow me. And that doesn't mean always you're gonna be the preacher. That means you might be partnering in that effort, helping support or encouraging, and we see that. By the way, let the Holy Spirit show you that as you're looking at these different men that Christ comes in contact and draws to himself, the different women behind the scenes. And ask him, Lord, what part in all of this do I have? What have you made me to be? I don't need to be a Peter if I'm an Andrew. And, and just be faithful to the Lord in that. But you can see here that the Lord works through normal, ordinary, everyday men and women, boys and girls who have been changed by Christ. I was thinking of my daughter Ruth who was able to share the Lord with a neighbor. Like way older than her. And just sharing Christ with her. And just what a blessing that was to sit around the table and hear about that. And then, of course, she walks away going, oh man, I, I don't know a lot. I, I, you know, and the enemy just starts giving her a hard time. And you guys had that? You're sharing Jesus with someone and all of a sudden you walk away and go, oh great, I just bombed that guy. You could never use that. <laughs> Listen, this is plan to use you, use me. And that's how you grow is you realize, boy, I need some more information here. Lord, help walk with me with that. It's like surfing. You guys ever, anybody, no, no one's ever surfed here, sorry. <laughs> it's like driving a combine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which I've never done. So, I mean, trying to relate here, it ain't happening. Man, you just, you just get nailed over and over and over, and then eventually you ride the wave. And it's just... It's the experience and how the Lord just empowers you as you're going. It's just amazing. He teaches you step by step. Very few of us are just going to get up there and go, boom. And look at Peter. Fell flat on his face. How many times before the 3,000 and the 10,000 came? So as you can imagine, Andrew was sharing this news with Peter. There was something convincing about it. There was something convincing about Andrew's testimony in other words, it, it flowed from his being. It flowed from his life. It flowed from who he was in verse 41, 42. He came to, Andrew, he came to his brother Peter and said, man, listen, in verse 42. I found, we found him. It wasn't like, you know, hey, do you want to come to church, Peter, maybe? <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm not sure, sure about this myself, but do you want to? No, it's like, hey, this is, this is who he truly is. He was in him and in Ha, and Andrew was changed. He was convinced. Andrew was overflowing with new life because he found Jesus. And in Jesus, he found the boldness to share Jesus. What God calls you to, he will equip you for. Trust in him, rely on that. But it seems Peter needed more convincing. It just seems like that from the context. And so Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. In verse 42, now we can't bring people physically to Jesus. Jesus is not here physically. He's at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit into the church. He will come back physically and establish his, his kingdom on earth. But I think Andrew did two things that we can take away. Two things. One, he said something. Two, he did something. I think we tend to kind of gravitate towards one or the other when it comes to sharing Christ with others, sharing the gospel. Is, uh, you know, I'm not going to ever say anything to anybody, but I tell you what, I'll kind of write a check. How many of you do that and then your conscience is kind of eased? And write a check is just a place marker for fill in the blank for whatever good work you want. 
And some people are like, hey, uh, you know, I'll talk a good game, but I won't ever lift a finger to do anything. That's more my struggle. Anybody else? No? Okay. So <coughs> this is why we're a great team. <laughs> I'll talk, you do it. No. <laughs> no. But, you know, we, we say something to someone. We share Jesus with something. We share the gospel, an aspect of who he is, the truth. He's the lamb. He's the son of God. He's the Christ. It comes up in a conversation. We have to open our mouths. Amen? Now, I know the fear for everybody is what comes out, right? Me too. I, I think every Sunday, Christine and I get together, and, and sh- or, or she just, they just kind of are giggling around the table like, what is it? And they'll start bringing up the things I say backwards. You guys all know what I, right, right? I say things backwards. I get things, references out of, yeah, don't do drugs. So um, <laughs> don't ever do them. <laughs> Not now. I'm just talking about back in the day. <laughs> Gotta see what I'm saying? <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> but the thing is, is that we not only say something, we do something. We, we grab people, we bring them to church. We point them to a track. We give them the gospel. We put them in contact with someone who maybe can explain things a little deeper. How many of you are lacking information? And that's why we have a body around us. There's people around here that are just such a blessing. Look around you at the, at the wealth of information and, and love and resources that Christ has put in the body of Christ. As you look to one another or, or you know, to me, whoever it might be, as we just go, go, you know what, I don't know, but what about this person? I mean, I'm constantly doing that because there's areas of life and just practical things I have no clue about, like knitting apparently yesterday or whatever it was. <laughs> Yeah, the sticking. <laughs> Anyways. But this is how making disciples works, that the, the Lord uses you to be his witness. He uses you to be his witnesses, that he is alive and he is who he says he is. By saying something and doing something, there's a life lived and a, and a life spoken. And so, life giving life. What we can see the, in these verses, I'm only on 41, 42 right now, uh, is that Jesus is calling these ordinary, or ordinary men to himself for extraordinary purposes. Think about that. And this excites me. You know, it excites me because is that when people come to Christ, he has a plan for them. He begins to speak into their lives, and they're never the same. They're never the same. They can never see what God sees in them. He has a plan. He knows you. He formed you. He made you. He has purposes for you. And your purpose isn't to fulfill your desire. Your your purpose is to fulfill his desire for your life. And in that, you actually find the true desire for your life. I know that sounds a little backwards, but that's John, basically chapter 8. Abide in me, let my word abide in you, and ask what you wish, and I will do it for you. This brings glory to my father basically you're my disciples bearing much fruit i said that a little backwards but you get the idea he's speaking to disciples who are abiding in the word of god and his word abides in them and as they have communed with christ his desires become our desires and we ask and god answers it and things happen and so i love that just look at verse 42 i love what happens when peter meets jesus 
Jesus looked at him, at Peter, and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What a crazy first encounter of Jesus. You, you meet someone and they give you a new name. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I don't really like it when people do that. I like my name, and, uh, you know, or whatever. But, you just, but Jesus is different. When Jesus sees Simon, Jesus says, you're going to be called Cephas. Now, Cephas means rock in Aramaic. That was the common language they all spoke. Jesus spoke it. Everybody else spoke it. But the language, and Peter is basically Greek for rock. Okay, so that's, John's doing all the translation for us. But this is awesome thing about the Lord Jesus. When he sees Peter, he sees what Peter would become in Christ, what he's going to do with him. Peter would become a rock. How many of you, uh, you had never imagined what God could, has done with your life, where he's taken you, what he's done through you, how he's changed you, who you were. And the, you know, it's just like you were in, in a cage and you could never get out. And then all of a sudden Christ busted those chains and he led you on a path. And here you are a few years out or a year out or a lifetime out. And you're going, what have you done with me? That's amazing. Thank you, Lord. I never could have had this character. I never could have been this person. Lord, the, the things you've taken me from and to, and Peter calls, uh, Jesus calls Peter to himself for his glory, for his purposes. And Jesus says to Simon, you're going to be a rock. In Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 19, it speaks of this a little bit. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but what, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter opens his mouth. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18 is where I want to focus. And I tell you that you are Peter, you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Pretty powerful stuff. And he goes on, just for a little clarification, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus had plans for Peter. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? What Jesus saw in Peter on that first day when he met him, he knew what Peter would become. The Lord Jesus knows who you are and who you're to be in him. Jesus says to Peter, you are rock, and basically, and, and upon your testimony of who I am, the real rock, the cornerstone, the foundation, I'm gonna build my church. That's wild. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 speaks to this when Paul says to those who were saved through the gospel, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, he says in verse 19, consequently, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God people. In other words, you've been born again, brought into the covenant, and also members of his household built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone, and the apostles testified of the rock. 
And Jesus says, Peter, you are, a f- you are one of those foundational type of stones that the church is going to be built upon. Your testimony is going to be what the church is built upon. Jesus is the bedrock, and Peter's testimony concerning the ultimate rock would be the rock that we are built upon. And anyone and who is born again, anyone who has been believes in Christ, those of us in this very room, we've been built upon Peter's testimony. We've built, been built upon the apostles' doctrine. Their testimony of who Jesus is is how we know who Jesus is in the New Testament, if that makes sense. And the other apostles, right? Christ being that cornerstone. So Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be a rock. Peter had no clue what his future held when he met Jesus, but Jesus knew it all. We just finished First and Second Peter. How many of you were just astounded at like the depth of that writing? Go back and read First and Second Peter. I mean, it's just incredibly deep and profound. I, I was blown away. I'm going, okay, this is beyond fishermen. This is this is incredible. By the end of Peter's life, as he's writing these things, he had become the rock. And I love that. Peter the fisherman became Peter the fisher of men. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, came and preached 50 days later in front of those same, same people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And thousands repented and came to Christ. Peter, who denied Jesus at his crucifixion, himself church history says was crucified upside down saying he was unworthy to have the same death as Jesus along with his wife by the way Peter had no clue what God had in store but Jesus saw it all and that's where it all started with Peter as his brother Andrew testified to Peter about Jesus who's your Peter what's God going to do verse 43 the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Galilee is that region in the northern part of Israel. It's more green, the wilderness of Judea in the south. It's, it's pretty beautiful. I, when I was there back in 2000, it was, it was lush and green. And it was rainy and all that type of stuff. You go down in the south and it's a deserty region. And so um, this is where most of Jesus' ministry was, up around the Sea of Galilee. Nice choice. And Jesus is there, he's walking around the Sea of Galilee, and he finds a man named Philip, and Jesus says to Philip, follow me, follow me. Jesus uses this term, follow me, 20 times in the Gospels, and whether it is the disciples of John the Baptist who come seeking after Jesus, and Jesus says, come and see, you know, or follow me, Jesus Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And as you read the New Testament, Jesus invited people to follow him. How many of you remember the rich young ruler? Tons of people wanted to be a disciple. And, and, and Jesus would kind of say, hey, you had to give, to give up something in order to follow you. You have to give up something and follow me. Give up something and follow me. And those things were specific to those people and the things they valued most in their life. People with relationships, he said, you must put me above those relationships. Give them up and follow me. To others, he would say, give up your, your business and follow me. And he had this encounter with this rich young ruler and this rich young ruler, well, guess what he asked him to give up? 
After this guy goes, hey, you know, I've kept all the laws, I've done all these things, I've been this great guy, I've got this moral pedigree, wonderful. What does Jesus say to him? That's great, but you still lack something. Give up all your riches, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and do what? Follow me. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then you will find treasure. Isn't that weird? What are you trying to hold on to? thinking that it is true treasure. The relationship, the person, the job, the whatever. Jesus just comes to us and says, follow me. How many of us don't even hear that anymore because we've said no so many times? Or you just go away sad because you are very rich. Fill in the blank. Jesus desires that we would follow him Jesus isn't following you. He's not your follower on Facebook. Forget about it. He's not clicking like. This is about his kingdom. Jesus walks up to people and says, leave everything and follow me. That's the conditions I have. Unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. And if you do not unconditionally surrender and follow me, you will not have my life. Isn't that crazy? And that is why the way is narrow, and few will go down it. And that's why we like to go to church quite often, because I have a feeling that I've kind of followed Jesus, but ultimately my life is mine. I struggle with that. Anybody else? And Jesus comes to me in my heart and says, follow me, Matt. Same old thing, follow me. Surrender, give it up, follow me. That doesn't mean we're you know, hiking out on the top of a mountain in a a lotus position, you know, contemplating, whatever. But ultimately, he has reign in our hearts. He has reign over our relationships. He has reign over our money, the direction of our life. He's just Lord. The Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. And in losing our lives, Jesus said, you actually find them. It's such a paradigm. It's just so few are willing to lose that they might gain. And the rich young ruler went away sad. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you true treasure. True treasure. What if I told you that tomorrow the stock market would absolutely go into a tailspin and never be able to be recovered, that your currency would become valueless. All that you've worked for, your houses, your homes, your cars, and all that stuff, no no worth. I know that there's some of you going, well, hey, we could trade. No, just this is my world right now. (laughs) Everything's valueless. Happened in Germany overnight after World War II. Just all that currency was nothing. And if I told you, listen, this is, this is all going to be valueless very soon. You want to go into this other economy that is not, that's going to totally sustain. Give up and buy over here. How many of you would actually do it? You'd have to have confidence in the person who's telling you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of people out there telling you what to do with your money. 
that Jesus comes in and, and does miracles and does all these things and he walks up to people and says, listen, give it up. I come from a kingdom and this kingdom's coming here and this stuff is gonna go away. Give it up, follow me and I will give you treasure in heaven. It will not rust, it will not corrode, it will not be stolen, it can't be broken and taken away, it can't be crashed, it can't, war can't break out, nothing. It is absolutely 100% totally eternal and secure. Come follow me, is what Jesus says to this rich young ruler. And it says there that he went away very sad because he was very rich. And Peter says, a few verses later in Luke 18, 28, says, Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. We've left everything, Lord. Peter had a wife, he had kids, he had a family, he had a fishing business, he had a father, he had all the stuff going on. And he left and he followed Jesus. And he's saying, hey, we followed you. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says, not only will you be blessed now in this kingdom, but the, t- the, the eternality of this surrender to follow me will pay off beyond your wildest imaginations. You've seen Francis Chan probably with his little um, diagram where he has a rope that kind of goes all the way off stage or whatever, uh, you know? Uh, and he has the little end pointed red, and I've shared this before with you, and it's like, this is our life, this little red part of the rope, and we're all focused on it and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, that's eternity. We're so focused on the little red part, right? Jesus says, surrender now, because that's what's at stake. Follow me, invest in me. It's the kingdom. I'll bless you now, but it's the eternity of things. Now, some of you saw that little wife phrase in there. You're going, yeah, I'll leave my wife and follow you. No, that's not what he's talking about, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I know you, some of you scoundrels out there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What is he saying? What's the principle? Jesus above all. Jesus above all. These are all very important things in our lives, are they not? The most valued relationships in your life have to be subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. I've got to be Lord. And in doing that, you actually find life. Because Jesus actually teaches you to deny yourself and love them, which is different. And so Jesus would say to Peter, and James, the same thing. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus went a little further and did the same with James and John, by the way. Uh, we read from another account. And with both sets of brothers, it says, at their response. Now, Jesus met Peter here in John, but it seems like Jesus came back to Peter later and said, hey, follow me. And that's what we see. With both sets of brothers, there's uh, Andrew um, and, and Peter, and then there's James and John, he said to them, uh, follow me, and with both sets, it said, at once they left their nets and followed him, and with James and John, it says, at once they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. They left whatever it was that was most important, whatever they were doing, and they followed Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is losing your life. 
This morning, Jesus is speaking to your heart about losing and following. What is it that he's telling you to lose? What is he speaking to your heart on this morning? The Holy Spirit's at work. Surrender it to Jesus and follow him. Deny yourself. He'll empower you to do it. Are you following Jesus? It's interesting, later on in in Peter's life, he followed Jesus that day, but what happened later? Peter denied Jesus three times. John says he followed him at a distance. Kind of not really close. Didn't want to get into the heat of it. Didn't want to associate with the persecution that Jesus was going on, so he followed him at a distance. He was looking at Jesus from far away, kind of. And in that situation, he compromised and he went away and wept bitterly because everything he had, had built up to that point had totally just been basically a lie in his whole, his whole life. And Jesus goes and pursues Peter. After he dies that day, he's resurrected, and very shortly he goes out and finds Peter on the shore. Peter sees him, jumps off, swims to the shore, and they have a little talk. And Jesus says, do you love me three times? And Peter talks back, you know I love you, and they cry. And then after that whole thing, Jesus starts talking, and John's there. And he starts talking about John and all the things that John's going to do. And goes, Peter, well, well, he tells Peter, you're going to basically die for following me. And, and, then, and, then, and then Peter goes, well, what about John? You know, is he going to die? Because I kind of want John to die too, you know, if we're all. <laughs> That's kind of the implication. You know, Peter's still a work in progress. And Jesus says, don't worry about John. If he stays until I return or whatever it is, don't worry about him. But you follow me. Some of you have been walking like in our hearts. I don't know about it, but you've been following Jesus at a distance. You followed him closely at one time, but now he's a little further away and a little further away, a little further away, and you've gravitated back towards the things of the earth instead of the things of the kingdom. Jesus is coming to your shore. Follow me. It's the same thing. Don't you love the Lord just comes and gets us? We are sheep in need of a great shepherd and how good he is. Let's finish here. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, verse 44, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they all knew each other. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, this is what happens when people come to believe in Jesus. They go tell others. Life begets life. Philip witnesses to Nathanael who is only called Nathaniel by John because he's basically Bartholomew everywhere else. Um, Nathaniel is, is, is basically, we, we know that from other verses. Sorry about that. I didn't, I didn't put the reference in here. But Philip apparently knew his scriptures better than most, it seems like, and, and he kind of gives more detailed account as he's sharing um, with Nathaniel. And I love Nathaniel. Uh, Philip says, hey, we found him of whom Moses, the law, and also the prophets wrote. And Philip identifies him as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I love Nathaniel's response. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How many of you guys share Jesus with people and you get a response like, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Now I can totally relate. You know, he, Nathaniel, Nathaniel is getting deep and he gives them all the accurate information and all of a sudden people are like, meh. <laughs> I don't think so. But anyways, Nazareth wasn't, a, wasn't that significant of a town and my guess is that Nathaniel was thinking that the Messiah would come from somewhere a little more prominent, right? 
It's like people say, oh yeah, the Messiah's from Walla Walla. Everybody's like, what? What's a Walla Walla? But the region of Galilee, basically the northern part, it was looked down upon by the Jews in general. And then the people in Galilee kind of looked down on Nazareth. So that's kind of, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that's just basically Nathaniel's thinking. And uh, I just think he wasn't having it. You got to convince me. I think Nathaniel was, was, and you'll run into people like that. And... Um, Philip just does what Jesus does. He says, Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. The same thing Jesus said to Andrew and John, sometimes we just need to invite people. Sometimes we need to just um, invite people to see for themselves instead of argue with them. And Philip said to him, come and see. And so Nathaniel makes his way. He, he's intrigued enough. Verse 47, And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit or no guile. Um, just as Jesus saw that Peter would become, Jesus knew all that Nathaniel was. Jesus knows who you are. You aren't fooling him. He knows you inside and out. We might have each other fooled sometimes, but he knows you. He knows Nathaniel here. Jesus calls him an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. There's no fooling you, uh, Nathaniel. You are not going to take Philip's word for it. You are going to see for yourself. Any of you like that? Show me the facts. I'm, that's how I am. Prove it to me and, I will, and I'll follow. And Jesus said that he was like an Israelite. He was an Israel indeed, meaning that he was the real deal. He's not only an Israel in name only, but he was the one true to the faith. And Nathaniel is just stunned because Jesus knows him absolutely to a T. He's just going, what in the world just happened here? Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? That word for know in the Greek is gnosko. It means to intimately know someone. It's often used a husband and wife in marriage. But how do you know me? How do you know me so deeply and personally? We haven't even met. And Jesus answers him. He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this isn't Jesus looking across the way seeing Nathaniel in the distance. This is divine revelation. Jesus not only knew Nathaniel's location, he knew Nathaniel. He knew his heart. And verse 49 says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Philip proclaimed Christ to Nathaniel. Nathaniel has an encounter with Christ, he comes to the truth. And now he proclaims Christ. This is how it goes. We come to know Christ. We share it with others. Others come to know Christ. They share it with others. And so here we are, 2,000 years after the apostles. The Lord has divine ways of bringing truth of who he is into the hearts that is seeking. Who's the person that you want to see come to Christ? Who's your Peter? The Lord has ways to get to people, and His ways are not our ways. I think we need to rest in Him. We share the truth of who He is. We bring them to Christ in whatever ways He, he gives us, but we need to trust that Jesus will do what Jesus can only do. He regenerates people. It's the Lord who ultimately 
is at work and brings the seed of the gospel to spring to life in a heart. We're powerless to make that happen. And when it happened to Nathaniel, he said, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king. And Jesus replies, verse 15, closing, Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You're gonna see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, what what in the world? Nathaniel would have known his Bible. He would have known Genesis 28. He would have known the story of Jacob where he was sojourning, so to speak. He was going around and, and he rested in a place that he eventually called Bethel, the house of God, because he had a vision where there was a stairway to heaven and angels were ascending and descending and God was at the top and he said, listen, the promises I gave to Abraham, I'm fulfilling through you. That through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. You're going to have this land. The people will be multiplied, all these types of things. God's standing at the top, and, and he wakes up, and he just goes, wow, this place is called Bethel, the house of God. That's what people call Bethel, Baptist, house of God. That's all connected. But the idea is that the angels were ascending and descending. There was supernatural, divine intervention happening in the plan of God until it was accomplished. And Peter says, uh, Jesus says, Jesus says to Nathaniel there, he says, you believe me because of that? You've got another thing coming. Because what you are going to see in the coming days and years, you're going to see miracles. You're going to see the dead raised. You're going to see demons leave people. I mean, just, you're going to see God's absolute supernatural intervention upon humanity through me. What a special occasion that was. Pretty, pretty amazing. So, again, this is what John the Apostle is driving at, church, is that all these accounts, he's, these are the witnesses, the people who have been encountered with Jesus, the testify of Jesus as Lord, and he keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, all the way to the end, and the witnesses and the miracles, and by the way, Although the scripture ends and the canon is closed, the legacy continues to you. Right now, this week, you are God's plan for this world. Isn't that weird? And hopefully you're not going, yeah, I am. (laughs) It's more along the lines of, really? Okay. (laughs) As the Lord gets a hold of your heart, as you lean into him more fully, as you lay down your life, as he fills you up, open your mouth, share Jesus with people. Amen? And let him do what he does through the broken people that he's decided to restore, the church. What a beautiful plan. And may many people come to testify that he is indeed the Christ, their Christ, their Lord, their Savior, their Lamb, through you. Amen? Lord God, we commit today to you. We want to thank you for this truth in your scripture. I know there are many who are fearful in this room, God. I have been fearful. But I pray that that fear would be dispelled as we just are filled with you as our love for you becomes all-consuming, as we look to you, as we feed off of you, as we obey you and love you, then Lord, may that same life that you've given us 
overflow into the lives around us. And Lord, use us in the way that you've created us to be a part of your plan. We submit to you now and we praise you. King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus the Christ, amen.